Well, hello again, everyone. I'm Tony Payne, and welcome to The Painful Truth, a weekly podcast and newsletter that digs into the way that the truth of Christ crucified really affects everything in our lives. Now, I say this is a weekly podcast and newsletter, but this is the free public version that comes out every three weeks or so and goes out to everyone on the list. And so if you're receiving it and you're one of those people who just gets it every three weeks or so, and you'd like to get it more often, you'd like to see what everyone else is getting every week, then that's easy to do. Just go over to thepainfultruth.online. That's thepainfultruth, spelled P-A-Y-N-E, painful painfultruth.online and you can sign up there to become what we call a painful partner and for a few dollars each month you can get every edition every week and you support me in the writing work that I do the rest of the time. Well on to this week's episode and edition, the free plugs and advertising over. This week I want to talk about the gospel which is always a great thing to discuss and in particular the one gospel that we preach and its many forms. This is Uh, foremost in my mind at the moment because of all the work that we've been doing on the Two Ways to Live outline. I've mentioned this more than once this year, that we're working on Two Ways to Live, revising the outline, trying to sharpen it and improve it, having a really good look at it again after all these years. And that work is nearly done. Uh, The final commas are being debated and some designs are being workshopped and looked at. And I've even seen some mock-ups of some very fetching Two Ways to Live t-shirts and caps, not something I thought I'd ever see, but they look fantastic. I remember, I don't know how long ago this was, we used to call that witness wear. Anyway, Two Ways to Live outline is nearly finished in the revision process, and also the other resources, the course and so on, are, are well underway. But in the whole process, we've received heaps of really useful feedback from you, uh, from readers, from Painful Truth readers and others about the proposed changes. Lots of really useful and encouraging suggestions and ideas, and some really good and penetrating questions that have been asked as well. And one recent excellent question really gives me the topic for today's episode. This question was about the value of learning a single gospel outline like Two Ways to Live, when the gospel can seemingly be expressed in so many different ways. If there's one gospel, but many forms of that gospel, as is often said these days, why learn just one outline? In fact, won't learning just one outline kind of restrict our ability to adapt the gospel into the many different forms that we may need in different contexts or when speaking to different cultures? Now, I have to say my immediate response to this question apart from appreciating its thoughtfulness, is to say, well, that is in fact precisely what Two Ways to Live was originally designed to do. The whole point of an outline like Two Ways to Live is to equip Christians for multiple different kinds of conversations about the one biblical gospel. And so you learn the essential elements of the gospel, but you do that in a very sort of skeleton, bullet point, framework kind of way, along with some imagery to help you remember it. And once you've mastered that, once you've got that in your head, you're equipped to talk about that message in a whole multitude of different ways, in different contexts, with different people, whether that's in casual conversations over coffee or around a dinner table with with your family, whether it's in a more formal presentation where you actually explain everything in a talk, a kid's talk or a youth talk or or a sermon, 
whether it's in an evangelistic course where you take time over several weeks to work through the content with someone, or whether you write a letter to a friend. And it also varies according to the kind of person you're talking to, whether you're talking to a completely unchurched person, perhaps a millennial who's never been to church and doesn't share any Christian presuppositions, or whether you're talking to a lapsed Catholic or to a Buddhist and so on and so forth. In all these different contexts and different sort of modes of communication and conversation, the presentation of the elements of the gospel framework, they'll come out differently. So, for example, if you're sitting on a bench with a friend at a beautiful mountain lookout and you're marvelling at the grandeur of all that's in front of you, your conversation might start in box one, talking about creation, about the nature of the world that God has made. And perhaps that would be the first point at which the conversation will begin and would proceed from there. Or perhaps you might be chatting with someone about what's wrong with the world or what's wrong with our lives, why things are such a mess. And the discussion might begin instead in box two and might linger there for quite a while. That's the point about our rebellion against God and how that messes up everything in our lives and in the world. In other words, every gospel conversation, every two ways to live gospel conversation or presentation will be different. Depending on who you are as a speaker, that is the kind of words you speak, how you express yourself. But also depending on the person you're talking to, where they're at. How the conversation begins, it depends on their existing knowledge, how much you need to explain and how much they already know. It would depend on the kind of particular questions they're raising and so on and so forth. But the message that you'd communicate in all of those conversations, if you're faithful to it, that is, will be the same essential message because the biblical gospel is one particular thing and it's a message for every single person. Now, this point about the universality of the gospel message, how it's the same message for everyone, came home to me afresh just this last weekend. I was preaching at the summer campus Bible study church series on campus, and I preached about Peter's gospel sermon to Cornelius in Acts 10. And you may remember there's an awful lot of drama, a lot of hoo-ha in the first part of Acts 10 to actually get Peter to travel to Caesarea to persuade him that it's all right to enter the house of Cornelius, the Gentile Cornelius, and to explain the gospel to him. Something, of course, up to this point that he would be very reluctant to do as a Jew, to enter the house and associate with a Gentile. It doesn't really seem to have dawned yet on Peter at this point that the gospel is indeed a message for everyone, even the despised and unclean Gentiles. But he finally does get it. And he's in the house with Cornelius and his friends, and he opens his mouth. And when he speaks, it becomes very clear why the message he has been commanded to preach is a message for every single person in the world, regardless of their culture or aspirations or their existing beliefs. Because his message is the proclamation and announcement of certain publicly available historical events That is, he talks about the good deeds and good works of Jesus, his healing ministry, how Jesus of Nazareth went about doing good, how God was with him, and how they killed him by hanging him on a tree, but that God raised him from the dead. So he he rehearses the basic historical facts of Jesus and who Jesus was. And then he explains the meaning and implications of those events 
for his listeners and for every person in the world. And he sums this up in the final kind of punchline of the sermon in verses 42 and 43. He says, And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now this, interestingly, is basically also what he preached, with a little bit of extra Old Testament background filled in, to the assembled Jewish crowd at Pentecost. Remember, his message there was that the crucified and risen Jesus is Lord and Christ, that is, is the King and the Judge of the whole world, and that the response to him should be to repent for the forgiveness of their sins. That's in Acts 2. And interestingly, Peter also says at Pentecost that this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Uh, He says that in Acts 2.39, but perhaps he doesn't really realize at that point just how far that far off would take him and that everyone really does mean everyone. But by Acts 10, he has figured this out thanks to the Lord's patient instruction of him through the visions and dreams and so on. And he realizes that the gospel that he's been commanded to preach is a single universal message for every person from every nation and every culture because the crucified and risen Jesus is the Lord and judge of every person, living or dead, and offers forgiveness of sins to every person who believes in him. And it also strikes me how similar this is to the conclusion Paul comes to in his sermon in Acts 17, speaking to, if if I can put it this way, an even more pagan and Gentile audience uh, in the Areopagus in Athens. My quick paraphrase of Paul's sermon to the Athenians would be something like this. You guys have come up with all kinds of different ways to make sense of your lives and to try and worship something. But really, think about it. It's all nonsensical. It doesn't make sense. And the time for that kind of ignorance is over. Because God has done something. He has now appointed the risen Jesus Christ to be the righteous judge of all the world. And so it's time. It's time for everyone from every culture. doesn't matter what worthless idol you might currently worship. It's time for everyone to repent. Because Jesus has been appointed the judge. Or words to that effect. Now, this is the same sort of message that rings throughout the New Testament and throughout the apostolic preaching of the gospel. And it's the same as the Great Commission when you think about it. All authority has been given to me, says Jesus. That is, I have been appointed and raised and established as the ruler of all, as the judge of all, as the Lord of the world. And so therefore, go off and make disciples of me from all nations. The reason that the one message is the same for everyone is that it is about the universal Lord and judge of everyone. That's Jesus Christ. The same one in whose name everyone, no matter who they are, can receive forgiveness of sins. And so this brings me back to the question that was posed about two ways to live. I do suspect that today when people talk about one gospel in many forms, they don't just mean the many different forms that a conversation or a communication might take that I outlined above, I suspect they mean more than that. They mean that the gospel needs to be expressed in different conceptual forms in order to connect with different cultures. 
For example, in a culture that values, say, freedom, but is struggling to achieve that freedom, we might adapt the gospel's form. We might recast it in a way so that it answers or resonates with that cultural aspiration or that cultural narrative as a message about the true freedom, for example, that is found in Jesus, and so on and so forth with different cultures and different kinds of aspirations that people have. But when we look at the New Testament, it's just not really how the apostles bridged cultures at all with the message of Jesus. In fact, the whole point of Acts 10 is that the cultural chasm between Peter and his hearers is vast, but that the gospel leaps over that gap, over that chasm, with its universal message of the lordship and the salvation of Jesus. The point of connection between Peter and his hearers wasn't how Cornelius's particular cultural aspirations might have been met or fulfilled or answered by the gospel. The point of universal relevance was that the risen Jesus Christ was their Lord and judge as well, the one before whom they must also repent, and the one who would also grant them forgiveness of sins by his death. In my reading of it, and I might be wrong, of course, the one gospel many forms kind of approach that's become more prominent recently sees the gospel as a more, I guess, a more malleable message, as a message to be framed or contextualized around the particular cultural aspirations or narratives of our hearers. I wonder if one reason for this is that the subject of Jesus' lordship and the fact that he's judged, that is the subject of box five of Two Ways to Live, has somewhat receded into the background in the way we think about the gospel. The focus is perhaps more on how Jesus liberates and saves and restores and fulfills, that is how he meets the particular need that we have, including the need, of course, for forgiveness. And so the way to make that message universal, that message of Jesus meeting our fundamental need, is to frame it around the way each culture or person understands or expresses that need, how each culture and each cultural narrative expresses or perceives a basic need or problem within their cultural world. Now, there are a number of problems with that, it seems to me. For one thing, it does seem to end up framing the gospel more around our aspirations and our needs than around God's achievement. But the chief problem, I guess for me, is quite simply that it's not at all how the apostles did it. And if we are to be good apprentices of theirs, and I take it that that's our goal, this should chasten us. In the apostolic preaching of the gospel, the point of contact between vastly disparate cultures was not the form of my particular culturally conditioned need. It was the fact that Jesus Christ has been appointed Lord and Judge and Christ of every single person and nature and culture for all time by virtue of his resurrection from the dead, and that therefore all should repent before him, and wonderfully, of course, that all may receive forgiveness through him as well. Now, Two Ways to Live is really an attempt to distill that message down into a simple, memorable outline, along with some of the background that a completely biblically illiterate person needs to understand it, the background of creation and the nature of sin and judgment. Now, Two Ways to Live, of course, is not the only way that this could be done and has been done and no doubt will be done. But the message that it is seeking to summarize 
is the one message that, like Peter, we've been commanded to preach. Well, I'm sorry that this edition of The Painful Truth is just a smidge late. I like to get it out a little bit earlier than this each week, but it was a big topic, this one, and I found that as I got into it, it was hard to distill it all down into something of, of a more respectable length. One slightly cheeky sentence that ended up on the cutting room floor was this one. When someone suggests that we need to keep adapting the form of the gospel message so that it connects with the cultural narratives of our hearers, I'm really tempted to say, well, that's exactly what I'd expect someone from a Western postmodern humanist culture to say. What do you think? Cruel but fair? Or should I say painful but fair? Let me know what you think. And let me know what you think of this particular post and the ongoing discussion that I've had over several of these about the nature of the gospel and whether the gospel is one thing or many things. I'd be interested in your thoughts because I think it's a live issue at the moment. I really do. I should also say as well that if you've been finding the painful truth enjoyable or stimulating or helpful or even all of those things, then why not spread it around? That's the whole purpose of, of doing this in many ways for me. It's not only to encourage you, but to give you something with which you can encourage others. And so perhaps think of some friends, four or five friends, that might also benefit from the kind of message that I've been talking about today and that this reflection. And you can either flick or forward on this podcast to them depending on which podcast platform uh, that you're using. Or you can go across to the website, the Painful Truth website, and forward them the email as well, um, the, uh, the actual link to the article that's on the website, and encourage them to sign up and to get the Painful Truth, at least the free version, every few weeks. Well, that's about all from me this week. Lovely to be with you again, and lovely to talk about the gospel. Is there anything better than talking about that? And I hope and pray that as we approach this Christmas season that the gospel encourages you and strengthens you and gives you hope. I'm Tony Payne. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.